I'm Charlie Wilmoth. I'm David Todd. And welcome to the Bucks Dugout Podcast. Welcome to the Bucks Dugout Podcast. I'm Charlie Wilmoth here with David Todd, and we are coming off a crazy game in which Rod Barajas, of all people, hit a two-run homer in the bottom of the ninth inning to beat the Nationals. One of the probably the weirdest game of the year so far, but uh, we're not here to talk about that today. Um, we have a very special guest, David. We've got Wilbur Miller with us today. Wilbur, as most of you who follow the Bucks Dugout website know, Wilbur's been updating us on the minor leagues on a daily basis. A great addition to the site. And Wilbur, thanks for joining us today. Sure, it's good to be here. Uh, let's get into this conversation. Let's get right to the conversation. We started a little bit on the website. Charlie and I have ta- talked a little bit. Uh, about the potential of having Jake Fox up on the Pirates' 25-man roster. There's some things that would have to take place if that were to happen, and there'd be some adjustment. You have to make a move to the 40-man because Fox came into camp as a minor league invitee. Uh, Will, what are your thoughts in terms of Fox, uh, where he stands in the big picture? And then if the Pirates are going to do things on the 40-man roster, who are the most likely candidates to be taken off? Well, the thought on Fox is simple. They need somebody who can hit. And, you know, he does have a track record of hitting, not always, but he does some. And, and they've got two guys, in, which you pointed out yesterday, Harrison and Navarro are like the same guy. And, you know, they need somebody who could, like, maybe hit a home run now and then. But with, with a 40-man, I don't think that's a problem at all. I think they could. <laughs> although, yeah, I guess he was reading my, my post yesterday because I mentioned Gorky Hernandez need a home run again today. It's right, two homers in two days, yep. So, yeah, that's going to happen a lot, you know. Of course, I was dumping on Barajas, and he had a home run, so maybe I should do that more often. I think that's pretty much how it's worked all year. We, we make fun of somebody, and then all of a sudden, the next day, they just go crazy. Yeah. Uh, so, Wilbur, the candidates I pointed out that uh, I, I thought more obvious candidates were were uh, Dan McCutcheon, uh, maybe Duke Welker, although I think Vlad took exception to that. Yeah. Uh, I would... I would then look at, uh, in terms of position players, it's Gorky's, as you pointed out, although, you know, you think he may have some value as a defensive outfielder in the system. And then, uh, you know, a guy like Matt Haig or Josh Harrison, in my mind, they are potentially guys who could be moved off. Any thoughts on on that group from either of you? I can't see Harrison or Haig just because they do have the track record hitting some, Um, although Haig hadn't hit at all since he went back to AAA. I, I still, like Hernandez, yeah, he's a terrific defensive outfielder, but I just have absolutely no use for, def- for defense-only bench players. Yep. Um, I, Welker, I could see. I mean, he, he has improved his control some, but he's not really dominating the way you'd want. I mean, the guy throws in the mid-90s, and he's got a pretty good slider, and he's, he's not striking out as many guys as you'd want to see. I, I just don't think the ceiling is really quite what they were hoping for. So if you have to make the move today, who are you taking off? Hernandez. Uh, Charlie? Hernandez makes sense. I think Dan McCutcheon also makes sense. I just don't see him at any, to- at any time really blossoming into the kind of player who's going to be you know, worth protecting on the, the 40-man roster and waiting for. Um, so either of them, but, uh, but any of the, the players we've already talked about, Harrison, Haig, I'm, I'm really not going to lose much sleep over. I mean, yeah, it's I funny how, how far Harrison and Haig have, have fallen in the fans' eyes since spring training. Yeah, yes, absolutely. I think it's worth pointing out, just reiterating for some people maybe who don't hear Neil Huntington speak very often, he said in his, in his Sunday show a couple weeks ago that he expected uh, that Navarro and Harrison would both be sent down at some point in the season to mm-hmm. get more regular at-bats. I, you know, I actually think we've reached that point for a variety of reasons. They're both going to get the start tonight. We'll see what happens. But... It just wouldn't surprise me to see one of them sent down in the next couple of days, and I just I don't think you can justify having to make a forty not making the move because you have to make a forty man roster move. So uh, you know I'm all for it. Hopefully we see it sooner rather than later. But let's get down into the minor leagues, Wilbur. Uh, as as you know, you be you are seen as an expert here, and <laughs> let's start with the guy who's really kind of captivated people's attention. Uh, we'll go all the way down to West Virginia to get this conversation started. Alan Hansen's a guy that most Pirate fans had never heard of until two weeks ago. And this guy, at the start of the season, uh, getting two hits a game, seemingly every game. He already has 50 hits on the year in 133 at-bats coming into today. Yeah, do the Pirates have that many hits? (laughs) Right, right. He's got an OPS over 1,000. Why don't you give give us some background on him? 
Well, he's one of these guys they drafted out of, or drafted they signed out of Latin America, and I mean, I think he was 16 when he signed, and you're really just hoping these guys break out, and that's kind of what's happened. He's not a big guy, but I, I've seen him hit enough. The ball really comes off his bat. He's not going to be a 20 homer guy in the majors, but when you say he's not a big guy, he's six foot five eleven. I think he's five eleven. He looks like he's about one sixty. But he, he really, I mean, the power is real. I mean, it's not like, you know, home run power. I'd see him more as a guy who hit a lot of doubles and triples, but he may hit awful lot of them. And he's really fast. Uh, he's also fun to watch. He's one of these guys that sprints out on the field, and he kind of makes a big loop out the shortstop when he's when he's uh, going out on the field. I mean, he's, he's a very enthusiastic-looking player. I think people will like him when, when more people start to see him. When, when guys think... When guys think about guys like Hanson, we see a guy making a lot of errors. There used to be, a, and I think rightly so, there used to be a lot of commentary on how bad minor league fields were, and so you couldn't really judge a guy's fielding. I think we're past that point of, of blaming errors on on fields. You know, this is a guy who I think you've said there's a, there's a more than likely possibility that eventually he moves to second base. Tell us a little bit about his defense. From what I've seen of him, I mean, I think he's got – He's got the range. I just don't think he really has the shortstop actions, and I'm not sure he has the arm. Although I didn't see, you know, I haven't seen enough of him throwing to, to be real confident about that. But more importantly, with the exception of Keith Law, everybody I've read who, who talks to scouts has, has come to the same conclusion. Keith Law seems to be the one holdout who thinks that he can stay at short. But I, what I'd see is a guy who's a little bit awkward and going after balls. I, I saw him at the beginning of the year go after a, a looper over his head, and he must have turned around three times. I mean, that kind of thing will get better. But I'm, I'm just not sure. I mean, he might stay short. And, they, and they're doing the right thing. They're keeping him there, and I'm sure they will keep him there until he proves that he can't play it. And he may surprise everybody. That'd be great. But if he can play second, that's great, too, because this guy can hit. The only other thing I want to throw on there, Charlie, sorry, is uh, I, I don't know that everybody's aware that he's a switch hitter. And, he, uh, you know, it's hard to tell from his splits this season. He's only had 20, 21 at-bats as a lefty, uh, but he has two homers from each side. And Any thoughts about uh, weakness or strength on, on one side or the other? He apparently is a little better right-handed, but that's unusual because, they, you know, usually guys get a lot more at-bats left-handed. My thought is basically leave him alone. <laughs> you know, I just I don't see that as an issue, certainly not yet. Yeah, I think I said that backward. It was, I was versus lefties versus righties. Yeah, he's two homers from each side. Right. Yeah. Wilbur, um, Gregory Polanco is a guy who people who have been going to Pirate City have been pretty excited about for a couple of years, but really without much to show for it. Yeah. Um, this year, though, he's finally hitting. What's been the difference with him? He's bigger and stronger. Uh, he's got, you know, a lot of people, like I know Tim Williams has like been a big Gregory Polanco supporter for a while. I haven't been because I didn't like his swing. But I, I seem to have been wrong. Um, I always thought his swing was kind of loopy, but he was a real he's a real tall guy. He's like six three, six four. He's pretty tall for an outfielder, and he was real skinny until this year. He really looks like he filled out some, and yeah, he's really. I mean, I saw him in spring training hitting some balls quite deep to the opposite field, and I saw him hit about the highest fly ball I've seen in several years, and uh, in a game early this year that ended up as a triple, but. He really does have some power. I mean, and he's real good. He's fast, and he's like 10 for 12 stealing bases this year. And I think he's always had a real high stolen base percentage. And unlike some of their other guys, he does have decent strike zone judgment. And and that's a good thing, too. Like the, the most similar guy to him to, at West Virginia is Willie Garcia, and he has none. He just flails at everything. He's a big kid, too, right? 6'4". Yeah, he's a big guy. He's possibly got more power than Polanco but as it stands right now he's really a hacker he's been hitting he's been hitting well lately I, I, I was actually talking about Polanco being a big kid but they're both big kids Garcia's yeah. six three Polanco's six four yeah and this is very different I used to go down there you know five years ago in, in spring training and all the kids coming up from Latin America were like 510 140 and I mean it just you could just see they're just not going anywhere and all of a sudden, there's some real physical guys who you can see at least have the potential to turn into something. And I think with Polanco, hopefully that's what's happening. Well, Charlie, let's talk about that. You wanted to talk about this up top. What, what is your feeling on the Dominican Academy, Charlie, and, uh, and what, the, what the philosophy is and, and how that's turning out? I mean, can we make a, any evaluation at this point? Not really, but it's, it's 
What's interesting about it to me is that right now in West Virginia, I mean, we're, we're just at the point where, you know, uh, Huntington and his people have been there for four years. They've had different budgets in Latin America for about four years. This is about the time frame where we're going to start to see exactly what we've got because it takes a while to get, get these kids who are, you know, 16, 17 when they're, uh, when they're signed. Um, up to the states and and playing in full season leagues and we've got a bunch of these guys in West Virginia uh, Hanson Polanco Garcia Jose Osuna um, and a couple others and it, it seems to me it's this is the most exciting stuff that's happening in the system right now so what I wanted to ask Wilbur is what do you think the difference is and because presumably these people are are being acquired by a totally different set of scouts and personnel is there a difference between do you think there's a difference between the quality of, of uh, the people who are acquiring these players and the the, the people who are, are making the draft picks? I think there might be. I mean, we'll know a little better in just another year or two when we see how many of these kids from West Virginia, you know, are, are like still doing real well in Double A. But I, I think the real the real difference is, as far as I can see, I think the the Latin American scouting director Renee Gallo, I, he seems to like power hitters. Uh, I think a lot of the kids that he's picking up are kids that he thinks have power potential. And, you know, Polanco and Garcia are two. There's another guy who's going to be in the GCL this year, Edwin Espinal, who's kind of the same. He's a real, he's a big kid. They're trying to get him to play third base. I don't think that's going to work. But, um, and he, he hasn't really hit for any power yet, but he's got really good strike zone judgment and he makes contact and, and, He's big enough, the power should come. But my sense is that Gaio likes power. And and the Pirates in the draft seem to avoid power like the plague. And and have and that goes back before Neil Huntington. I don't I don't know what the deal is, but they under Littlefield they go three years at a time without drafting a single power hitter, and it hasn't really changed that much. Go go into for people who don't know, go into how the GCL works and where those guys are where that team's being populated from and and then maybe just touch on State College, the two teams that haven't started yet. Um, two yeah. of the teams that haven't started yet. The GCL, we, I mean, we don't really know all of who will be there because any high school kids they draft will be there. And now we've got this earlier signing deadline, thank heavens, which is, what, mid-July. So if they mm-hmm. sign any high school kids, they'll go to the GCL and play there instead of signing in August too late to play, like which has been the case for several years. But an awful lot of the GCL team tends, tends to be kids who are just coming up from Venezuela and the Dominican. Well, now it's just going to be the Dominican because they closed the Venezuela team. Down, at, Pretty much everybody's getting out of Venezuela. But Is that that's largely political reasons? Yeah. yeah. And political and crime, I suspect. It's, it's a really unsafe place. But the, uh, the team will, will probably be heavily made up again. It was This was the case last year um, of – Latin American players, and they have the two outfielders they drafted, Harold Ramirez, and uh, blanking out the other guy's name was Escobar, Elvis Escobar. Right, the Colombian kids. Yeah, they 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 signed, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I keep saying drafted. That's just great. But you know, and Espinal, and there's a couple others. But it, yeah, it tends to be heavily Latin American kids, and of course, the dynamic for a couple of, for several years has been the American high school kids all signed in August and and so they can't play until the next year so they go to extended they go to the fall instructionals and extended spring training and then they just go to state college because they've had a lot of you know the, the GCL is really intended is to sort of you know indoctrinate kids and get them used to to a baseball season in the United States but the draftees have mostly been going to state college and that'll be I'm sure that'll be the case again this year then hopefully that'll start changing um, but, you know, last what I mean is last year's high school draftees will be at State College. And then other than that, State College is basically that's a college league. It's intended for college draftees to get their feet wet. And then they go on to full season ball the following year. What's your thought on Charlie's comment that, you know, four years <clears throat> getting this thing up and running, we start to see the fruits of the labor. Uh, you know, I think there's been some conversation on the on the on the blog about, you know, t- Huntington evaluating Huntington. And, and look, we're constantly evaluating Huntington and we don't see the results at the major league level. And we haven't for, you know, the, his entire tenure. Well, Charlie and I have talked uh, recently about not really seeing the results from player development of guys who've been drafted. Uh, as we see, you know, we're not popular. The system is not populated at, at Indianapolis and Altoona 
But, you know, this academy and, and obviously Cole and Tyone and some of the guys further down really maybe give some hope. Is this is this kind of uh, are these the guys that are going to make or break Neil Huntington at the end of the day if this group doesn't come up and perform in the next kind of two to three years? Well, if you're talking about guys who at West Virginia, who, who are at West Virginia being the guys who are going to make or break Huntington, then we're talking about like three or four more years of losing, which well, is, is that's going to be a lot. I guess, I, and Charlie, why don't you chime in on this? I guess uh, if we start to see dramatic uh, results of guys uh, performing, you know, breakout seasons or whatever, it's because we haven't seen them, is, is that enough to stave off disappointment at the major league level, I guess is what I'm asking. No, I think it should be. I, I think that, you know, uh, at this point, it's not really all that reasonable to expect a, a very good team at the major league level, but it is reasonable to expect at this point that the uh, the minor league system uh, be performing at a high level given the amount of resources the Pirates have rightly uh, poured into it. And so I, I guess I would, you know, if you want to look at West Virginia, you, you know, it will be, you know, a few more years before we're going to see these guys in the majors. But, you know, as promising as some of the hitters look right now, I mean, on the pitching side, these have, you know, most of the pitchers have been uh, draftees. And, and we're seeing over and over again these these high school kids who are supposed to be projectable players, uh, who at this point at least do not appear to be to be working out. Yeah, I, you know it's been a real discouraging year because none of them is doing well. I mean, Zach Dotson is pitching much worse at the same level he was at last year, and Zach Zach von Rosenberg's been so bad they, they're keeping him in extended spring training. Colton Kane is having a very mediocre year at Bradenton. Trent Stevenson retired. Uh, Quentin Miller, who was drafted the year before those guys, is just he's pitching kind of poorly as the closer at Bradenton. And there's it's, it's true. And in, in the in the, the the defense everybody always comes up with is, well, these guys could still break out. And that's true. And it's absolutely true when you look at each individual. But the point is that you draft a whole bunch of them with the idea that one or two of them will break out. When you draft all these high school pitchers, you know, most of them aren't going to make it. But one or two of them need to break out. And that's not happening. And if you look at them as a group, you just see there's nothing is working. And the only ones that are doing anything are Tyon and Tyon. And, you know, of course he is. I mean, he's tremendously talented. And so uh, I really think it, it's discouraging. And I don't think that it's too early to question whether the strategy of, of drafting all these high school pitchers was a failure. Because, you know, I, I think it, there's a real question about that now. That's interesting, Charlie. You want to take a crack at that? Uh, is it, is our, our high school pitchers too much of a risk to uh, kind of load your draft up on high school pitchers? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think they are. Um, and you know, maybe it's a it's a matter of sample size at this point. It's it's not really clear. Um, but the fact that they're not really getting any results out of you know really any of these guys, and they've they've poured so much money into getting these kinds of players because because if, if you were going to have this strategy of giving out large bonuses in the late rounds of the draft, these are the kinds of guys you're going to be picking because, you know, the college guys, for the most part, know they're being drafted and they're fine with it. Whereas with the high school guys, you're using all that money to lure them away from college commitments that they were perceived to be, you know, more strongly attached to. You know, then, yeah, you're going to get high school high school players and and... You know, I, I'm not sure the strategy is wrong. Um, I'm not even sure the execution was was wrong, but I do know that the results are so far not so great. I don't so much have a problem with the strategy. It's the I, I really think it's the execution. Now, I mean, as far as strategy is concerned, the one thing I do question is that that they have this fascination with right-handed pitchers, right. who are six four or taller, who have you know lean project what they call projectable frames. And the idea is all of them, they're going to, their stuff is going to improve when they get up to 21, 22, 23 years old. And it's not happening. And I, I do have serious doubts whether that's the right approach. The guys they've got to throw hard are big guys. Garrett Cole is a big guy. You know, Stetson Alley is, is, is very stocky. Jamison Tyon is a bigger guy. He's stockier. I mean, he's not stocky, but he's, he's a bigger, stronger-looking guy than all the other guys in the system his age. And, you know, I just, I do think that this uh, tall, lean, right-handed, 6'4", or taller, right-handed pitcher strategy, that part, I think, I've I got real questions whether that's going to work at all. 
so bring far. Us up, bring us up to date on Luis Heredia. He's in, he's in extended spring training. You know, I saw him in, in camp in March. He was throwing in the low 90s. Uh, considering that he's still only 17, that's actually pretty amazing. And he is, and just what he's, I think he's 6'7 now. And just watching him walk around, you can tell he's still growing into his body. And so I, I think with him, it's going to be two or three years to really be sure what they've got with him. But he's definitely on a different level from, you know, the Von Rosenbergs and, and Ryan Hafners because he's already throwing harder consistently than than they do. And and I, I think there probably is a lot of potential for more with him. It's not normal for a 17-year-old to throw 95. In fact, I'm not sure it's normal to throw 92. So uh, he's on a different level from these other guys. Uh, Charlie, on these projectable righties, I just throw a question out to each of you guys. Is Stetson Alley ever going to see the major leagues? Yes, no question. Uh, it's impossible to say. Well, it's, right, right. I'm not asking you to, you know, give a, a nuanced answer here. You think he's ever going to make the major leagues? No. Uh, Wilbur, I give him about a 20 percent chance. Right. Yeah, I, I give it a no as well. I, I don't think so. I, I just think if the, it, it, you know, it's hard to see. He doesn't have the experience pitching, uh, and, and you know, the command is so bad that uh, I, I don't know that the pit, the the pick was necessarily a reach. It's easy to say that now. The upside was so high, but yeah, it, it's. Uh, you know, I, and certainly nobody's writing him off at this point. But you'd like to see some sign of progress, right? Well, I was borderline excited when I saw him in, in spring training. For about one to two innings, he was actually looked okay. He was not missing badly. Um, you know, he was missing more than you'd like, but he was right around the plate, and he was actually having at bats where he could work the, the hitter. He'd get ahead, and then he'd throw a slider, and his slider is—he's got—he's got more impressive stuff than Tyone. He's got real serious swing and miss stuff, but it just didn't hold. And I, I saw I saw his first start in Hagerstown, and it was it just wasn't the same guy. And, and is it really it, very different in spring training. Repeatable delivery issues as well, or can you can you pick, obviously it's not just one thing, but uh, is he able to repeat his delivery? And how's his delivery look? His delivery looks okay to me, but I'm not really that kind of an expert. Um, I just you know, I just don't think he has an. I one thing I don't think he has enough experience yet. He really hasn't pitched very much. You know, he really only pitched one year in high school, and then as a pro in in actual game action, you know, what did he pitch about forty innings? No, it wasn't even that. Twenty six. Twenty six innings in state college last year. I actually think they might have been better off keeping him in the Gulf Coast League, and he might have had hitters swing at more pitches there, and he, which would have allowed him to to last longer and get more innings in. You know, I think a major problem for him now is he's just not getting any innings in game action. I I think that's actually quite a big issue. Uh, Be that as it may, Wilbur, we've got, now he's he's pitched, you know, 26 innings last year, plus the two-thirds of an inning he's pitched so (laughs) far this year. Uh, This year he had eight walks and one strikeout. Uh, Last year, 29 walks against 28 strikeouts. And and I guess... uh, what I what I want to ask at this point is that statistically that that's not a huge sample or something, but it's it's an obvious problem. How many future big league players have seasons like that on their profile? Probably none. Bobby Jinks was close to that bad when he first started, and of all the guys I can find, he's about the the closest you know positive analogy for for Ali. He was really horrible when he first started, but I don't think he was quite as bad as Ali. On the other hand, I think he pitched a lot more before he became a pro than Allie has. But he's about the closest analogy if you want to look at somebody who did make it. That's pretty good that you can just rip that out off the top of your head, Wilbur. I'm well, impressed. I looked it up. <laughs> see, I, you know, I looked it up. I didn't, so I remember it. Charlie went to you like you were going to have an answer, and you did. <laughs> Charlie, pick another guy on the West Virginia roster that excites you. I mean, obviously having Josh Bell down uh, is a big disappointment. But are guys like... Uh, Joe, Jose, Asuna, uh, uh, is he a guy, either of you guys, that uh, has has real potential? I don't know. He's got really good – he's got a really good approach at the plate, and he makes contact, and he does not swing at bad pitches. On the other hand, he remind, remember Jason Delaney? Mm-hmm. I think I said this online somewhere. He reminds me of Jason Delaney. Delaney was a big guy, 
with good, a big, strong guy with good plate discipline, and he hit everything to right center. He's a right-handed hitter, and he did not get around. He, he did not have the bat speed to really hit for power. And I seen Osuna quite a bit this year. I saw him play three games. At the beginning of the year, I saw him a lot in spring training, and I don't think I've seen him pull a ball yet. He, he doesn't get around quickly. Now, maybe that's a reaction issue more than a bat speed issue, but you know, I, I'm not surprised he has no home runs this year because you know, he does not turn on the ball. Now, it could be something he'll pick up. He's only, he's only what, 19? He's 19, yeah. Yeah, so you know, it could be that'll change. I mean, I, I wouldn't write the guy. I'd write off any guy that's hitting 300 at age 19 and, and full season ball, good plate discipline. But I'm not sure the power is going to be there. And if there's no power, he's not going anywhere because he's strictly a first baseman and not really good there. What about Nick Kingham? I mean, he's has he's a, a player at, at West Virginia who is regarded as as a, a better prospect than most, but he struggled a little bit this year. What's what's been the problem for him so far? I don't know. I saw I saw his first game and his control was just a little off. He kept getting behind in the count, and he wasn't able to you know wasn't able to really work the hitters. He also he had some bad luck. Like he had a couple of bad defensive plays that prolonged an inning. I mean, he could, he could actually have ended up with a pretty good game. I mean, there's a combination of just missing a little bit and bad luck. So I wasn't a- actually all that discouraged after that start. But then it happened again in his next start, and he didn't pitch very well his last start either. He's, he's had mostly bad starts. I'm baffled. He was a guy that I was really excited about in spring training, and, and it just hasn't turned out that way. But, you know, I, I assume that the problem is he's just – his fastball command just isn't there and he's getting pitches up and, and that's something that he may get, he may come out of. I mean, I, I'm not going to, I don't think it's worth panicking about him yet, but it, it was surprising. I didn't think he, I didn't think he'd have these kind of problems. Any, any other pitcher at West Virginia that, that stands out as a guy that uh, I know that I know Kingham is the guy that people are looking at. Uh, is there anybody else who jumps out at you? No. <laughs> I knew going in that the pitching there was going to be bad. I, you know, it was going to be Kingham, Alley, if you managed to stay there, which you didn't, and Ryan Hafner, who just who right. just came off the disabled list or or out of extended, whatever, however they handled it, and had he had two bad starts and he pitched well his last time out. He's actually very similar to Kingham, um, and hopefully the performance he pitched pretty well his last time. Hopefully he'll just he'll keep on with that. But basically it's Kingham and Hafner and. And the rest are organizational guys. It just it just worked that way this year. It's all the hitters at West Virginia and all the pitchers at Bradenton. Charlie, why don't you take a look at uh, Bradenton for us and tell us about some of the guys there? I mean, we you know we had the draft. That Mel Rojas was the third round pick uh, a couple of years ago. Dick, Dickerson last year, the first baseman. Uh, are these guys where we ex- you know where we expect them to be? Well, I mean, Maggi certainly uh, is, is doing pretty well. Um, has a a 398 OBP, which is pretty good, especially given how, you know, he didn't have a super strong year last year. You know, Rojas, I guess you could read that in a bunch of different ways since he was supposed to be so raw when he was drafted. His overall statistical line so far is not bad, although maybe not what you'd want out of a a former third-round pick who's coming out of community college. Um, Overall, uh, though, the, the hitters have not done so much this year. When you say a guy like Rojas is raw, I just find that I find that a little bit odd, right? He's the son of a major league baseball player. You know, you'd think his skill set would be a little bit, you know, you'd think he'd be more polished than the average guy. What's the, what's the issue with him? Well, he came out of, you know, he was drafted out of junior college, and he, he played at some junior college that I've never heard of. It was someplace in Illinois. The Northern was, school, yeah. Yeah, it's not a hotbed of major league, future major league talent. And so I, I just don't think he's seen the level of competition yet. Plus, he, he came out of junior college and went straight to state college rather than a lot of junior college guys go to rookie league. And he went to state college and then West Virginia. And, and you know, it was a, those are pretty challenging assignments for a guy with his experience level. Now, you'd wish he'd done better anyway. But I, I think that's all that raw means is that he hasn't – it's not like he was a – you know, a guy at a major four-year college program who went to state college and then went to full-season ball, which is, and that's the usual track. 
So you would expect him to struggle more than, say, a college draftee initially. He's making some progress this year. I kind of wish it was a little bit more. But he's doing a lot better than he did last year. Mm-hmm. As we go down the, you know, in a couple months, who do you expect, say, to be doing better at, at Bradenton? It, well, as far as the hitters are concerned, Alex Dickerson is my hitter counterpart to Nick Kingham. And he, he had a really good spring training. I even saw an interview with him the other day where he said, oh, I had a really good spring training. And he has not hit much so far this year. He's had a couple little outbursts where he hit a lot of doubles, and that's about it. And I, I've been quite disappointed. But I, I just have to think that as a, a guy who is a good hitter at a, at a top college program um, and who sh- who's shown good hitting skills and good, good plate discipline, and as a pro, that you know something will just kick in at some point and he'll start to hit, mm-hmm. kind of like Matt Curry this year in Double A. You know he was overmatched when he first got there, and and something seemed to have just clicked uh, a short time ago. And I'm hoping that'll happen with Dickerson. So he's the guy I'd look to to really turn things around. The rest of the guys there are just they're really long shots. Um, Maggi probably is a guy that you could see making the majors. Probably as a utility guy. But the rest of them there, including Rojas, they're they're sort of high ceiling, low probability kind of guys. Wes Freeman's the real extreme one. <laughs> That's not working out. On the pitching front, we, we know the two studs are down there. <clears throat> is, is Quentin Miller is the is the ship sailing on Quentin Miller? Yeah, <laughs> I you know I, he pitched pretty well. I thought he looked pretty good in spring training, but he hasn't pitched well, and they've they've moved him to relief, which should be a bit less challenging and. And he still isn't pitching all that well. So, so yeah, I, at this stage, I, I just don't see it going anywhere. I'm getting depressed here. I mean, anybody else on that staff really um, inspire well, you? I don't see a lot of, of players who do. Well, there was Hunter Strickland. I think, would he get hit with a line drive or something like that? I can't remember what happened to him. But he, he had some injury that was not an arm injury. But he had gotten off to a really good start, and he pitched really well in spring training. So I'd be... Assuming they get him back in there pretty quickly, he's a guy worth watching. And then Colton Kane always is. I mean, he's, he's this physical-looking guy with a good breaking ball. Um, his fastball velocity has been a little disappointing, but you know, at least he's in high A, unlike all the other guys who were drafted from high school when he was. So, I mean, he, he and Strickland are probably the guys I'd be looking at for, you know, to provide some additional hope. What about Jeff Inman? Has has the ship sailed on him? I don't know. He hadn't pitched. I mean, he's back now. He certainly throws hard, but I just there's just nothing to base a judgment on with him. Mm. He's pitched so little. Uh, we we start to call as we get to Altoona, and there's some interesting guys there. I guess hypothetically interesting guys. Robbie Grossman's off to a bad start. Uh, we've got the Hammett bone injury that he suffered in the Arizona Fall League. Andrew Lambo looks like a non-prospect at this point, yeah. but there are guys like Jarrett Cunningham. Uh, I, I, I can't tell you anything about Alberto Santos. Uh, maybe you can fill us in on him. And then uh, Ramon Cabrera was really good last year in Bradenton, and he's off to a bit of a slow start as well. Maybe I'll go backwards here. Cabrera, you know, he's only he's like five eight, and it's just it's just hard to see enough of a physical presence there that he's going to hit pitchers at higher levels and. It, it doesn't seem to be happening so far this year. Now, catchers, I don't know. They develop kind of oddly, and so it could be that he'll come around. I mean, he hasn't done terribly this year. He just hasn't done real well after winning a batting title as a catcher, which isn't that easy to do, but I'm not real surprised. Uh, Cunningham, he was off to a good start, and then he stopped hitting, and it turns out he's got a wrist injury, and I don't know if the wrist injury was something that was bothering him when he'd gotten in, you know, it was something that just happened and he immediately went out or if it was something that was bothering him when he was kind of slumping a bit, but boy, he's another guy. You'd sure like to have him in there for a long time and see what happens, but he can't seem to stay in the field. Santos. Yeah. I've seen him play. He just hits. He's one of these guys that he doesn't look real impressive physically. You look at him, for instance, you'd think he wouldn't run real well and yet he's a good base dealer. It just for people's reference, he's 5'11", 185. We should probably give a little background on some of these guys that, that people might be less familiar with. Went to Oregon State, yeah. and he bats and throws right. He's one of these guys that I think, I, I can only vaguely remember his college record, but I think it was either his junior or senior year. He just suddenly started hitting a ton, and he hit for some really high average. He's not a power hitter. Well, he probably hit a lot of doubles, but he's a guy you could see is, is a bat off the bench kind of player. 
And I was, it was really unfortunate that he got hurt when he did because he was incredible. He was every bit as hot as Alan Hansen. Um, so that was a shame. But he's, and he's, he's, got a, he's got a knee injury that's serious? I don't know. I, I didn't get the impression it was. But, I mean, I'll, I haven't heard anything about him having surgery or anything. You know, hopefully he'll be back in a bit. They haven't picked up another outfielder. They're playing, they're playing their third-string catcher in left field, Charlie Cutler. I would assume from that that they're expecting somebody back soon. Right. If expecting a long-term absence, then I would think they would uh, pick up another outfielder or maybe promote somebody, an organizational guy, or send send Miles Durham back down there from AAA since he's not hitting it. He's hitting about 140 in AAA. So I assume that he's not out for a real long time. Charlie, Tony Sanchez, where are we? Well, I mean, he's repeating the double-A the level. I mean, he's obviously had some, some issues with injuries, but I don't think he's done a whole lot to uh, – and I realize I'm being really depressing on this podcast, and I'm sorry. But I, I, don't, I don't know that he's really done a whole lot to, to prove the Pirates' evaluation of him, which was a very unconventional evaluation of him when they made him the fourth overall pick of the draft. I don't know that he's done much to prove that – uh, their evaluation was right, and he seems to be. You don't want to say he's maxing out as a Double A player, um, but you know you'd like him to be beyond Double A at this point. In in eleven days, Tony Sanchez turns twenty four. He's in Double A. I, I assume that next year he's not going to start the season on the Pirates roster. He's going to be twenty five in Triple A. I, I, you know, it didn't. It's not working out. No, <laughs> not not like you'd want. Again, catchers develop kind of funny sometimes. So, I, I mean, Carlos Ruiz, when did he – he didn't really do much of anything until he was like 29 or 30. About 30, yeah. And now he's you know, he's one of the better catchers in the league. So, I mean, these weird things happen, but it's it's not – I'm not optimistic. It, it's really not looking good. And, and it not only is the hitting still not there, but he's still committing a lot of errors and, and – you know, I haven't seen any of them. I haven't seen him play this year, but I, I got to assume that he's still kind of erratic defensively. He's got. Well, I've seen him play enough. He's he's got a good arm. He's he he moves really well behind the plate. He's very you know agile looking. He blocks pitches really well. I mean, I I do understand. You know, having I saw him in a four game series at the end of last year, and and I did understand at that point why he does get a lot of defensive kudos. But on the other hand, I also saw him drop a throw on a rundown because he was getting over-anxious, I think, is what it looked like. And so he, you know, he is still pretty erratic, and you know, this is his second go-around in double-A, and you'd like to see that changing. Does he have the bat speed to make it as a, as a major leaguer? He's not a big power hitter. When I, again, when I saw him at the end of last year, he actually was hitting the ball quite well. And what he was doing is hitting it to like right center and center. I think he's that. I think he's more a gap to gap hitter. I, I don't see him as even a fifteen home run kind of guy. Like more, more like five to ten. And the staff in uh, the staff in Altoona leaves a little to be desired as well in terms of uh, big name prospects. Not, there's not a yeah. lot there, is there? Yeah, they're kind of waiting on Garrett Cole. I think. But Charlie, no. anybody else in Altoona that jumps out at you? I mean, Brandon Compton is a potentially interesting starting pitcher. But I mean, if you look at the rotation. They've got Compton, got Mike Calla, Nathan Baker. Uh, they've had Matt McSwain and, and Chris Johnson making spot starts. Um, Aaron Pareda, uh, you know, Aaron Perbanic. This is this is really not a very good uh, pitching staff. Well, it's guys who are good enough to get to Double A, which a lot of guys aren't. Yeah. But may not be good enough to get beyond that. The the one, well, I, you know, I and I and unfortunately Tim Alderson gave up three runs today in the continuation of their suspended game and I, I was kind of thinking he'd be in the rotation at some point of course just one game and I, I still hope he will be uh, Corey Geiger sent out a tweet today that said the Pirates are going to try to work him back into, into the rotation there oh good that's good to hear I mean they might as well if he's throwing in the low 90s then it's certainly worth a try and mm-hmm. it's certainly worth you know getting him in there ahead of Matt McSwain up at uh, Indianapolis we, we talk a lot about these guys I think these are the guys that people are most familiar with Let's just touch on uh, three guys here, Wilbur, if you will. Chase Darno back today, for, back yesterday from the disabled list, got two hits today. Yeah, <clears throat> nice to see him playing. Jordy Mercer's a guy who I think there's uh, there's some hopeful upside. 
And then on the pitching side, Brian Morris is one of the guys who came up and was in that trade for the from the Dodgers. Surprising that he was in Altoona all of last year. He's now at Indianapolis as a reliever. Uh, take us through those three names and, and where they stand and tell us a little bit about the positional value of the two infielders because it, it's interesting that when Dono comes back, he goes right to shortstop and Mercer played third today. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I, I think it's pretty obvious. The Pirates see Darno as a potential top-of-the-order hitter because he is really fast and he is one of the best base runners I've ever seen in the minor leagues. But he's been very erratic defensively and the bat isn't quite there. I mean, it was starting to look like it was there last year in AAA about a month into the season. And then he came to the majors and he was way out of his depth in the major way league. overmatched. Yeah. Um, and I, but I'm sure what I'm sure the way the pirates see it is they see Darnold is having the potential to be an above average middle infielder and Mercer is being more a guy who, if things go well, he could be sort of an average shortstop. Maybe personally, I like him a lot better defensively than I do Darnold and he is hitting really well lately. And I, I was kind of wondering if that would start to change their uh, estimation of the two, but so far it looks like it hasn't. Yeah, I mean, you look at Mercer, somebody who has some pretty, it seems like some pretty legitimate home run power, and from what I've seen defensively, he's good. I mean, he, he, he looks like he can handle shortstop in the big leagues where I, I don't really see a lot of indication that, that Darno has. It, it's, it's, it's interesting if the Pirates don't view Mercer as the better prospect or the one more likely to eventually be an everyday middle infielder in the big leagues. Yeah, they liked him enough to put him on the roster, though, at least. Mm -hmm. And I, I would hope if Clint Barnes, Barmas goes down today, then I can't imagine they would bring Darnold up. I would think they would bring Mercer up. Guys, rank these four players for me in terms of where you think they will be talent level two years from now. Darnold, Mercer, Harrison, and Navarro. I'd say Mercer, Darnold, Navarro, and Harrison. I, I just think Mercer is more reliable at this stage and and more likely to turn into, you know, a solid major league player. Charlie? Yeah, I would put Mercer at the top. I'm, either Darno or Navarro would be would be second. I mean, it seems like um, Navarro might actually have a little bit more offensive upside than than Darno does. Um, so I could go either way with, with those, and then Harrison uh, down at the bottom. Uh, is it unrealistic to think uh, Jordy Mercer could be the Pirates' starting second baseman in 2014? I'd say Morris the starting shortstop, but no, I don't think it's unrealistic. I think he can play short, and I think he can be the sort of guy that produces just enough offensively. Not not a lot, but just enough. I mean, the thing the thing with him, it seems seems like his his problem is just maintaining a high enough batting average to be an everyday player. Yeah. Um, he's he he is batting two eighty eight in a small sample this year. I mean, who knows what that means? But if he can keep up anything like that in the in in AAA, then yeah, he's probably eventually going to be a starting shortstop, but but who knows? I've, yeah, he's he's one of these guys who seems to his approach, I guess, must change because he he swings back and forth between hitting for average and not a lot of power, and then hitting for pretty good power, like last year when I think he led the whole farm system in home runs, but then his average drops or he, he doesn't draw any walks. Um, so it's he could actually be the sort of guy who seems like a different hitter every year. If Jared Cunningham uh, stays healthy, is his ceiling? Uh, where, where is his ceiling relative to Darno and Mercer? Boy, that's tough because he has real serious power. But he's a, Jim Callis is a big fan of Jared Cunningham. Right? Yeah, he's got terrific power, but his, you know, he's obviously got massive strike zone problems. Um, and and this year, he actually early, at the beginning of the season, I think he actually went about four or five games without striking out, which for him is unheard of and i was starting to think oh things have really changed and then he started striking out again so it's just really hard to say because the, the power potential is not something you're going to see a lot from a guy who hopefully can play second base and i should add he looked a lot better he was running better in spring training than i'd seen him run before and i kind of wonder if it just took that long I mean, he had major knee surgery and i kind of wonder if it took that long for the knee to come around but, you know, it just all depends on whether he can make more contact. And before but, we get to Brian Morris, guys, where do we go with Eric Fryer? What's going to happen with him? Nothing. <laughs> nothing at all. I, I think he's pretty much done himself in this year. 
Charlie? I could kind of see him finding some like bizarre utility role in the majors because he can catch a little bit. He plays pretty well in the outfield, actually. But, I mean, he needs to, obviously, he needs needs to hit. And it's really getting, it's hard to get a read on him as a hitter because he's bounced around so many different levels so quickly in the past few years. Brian Morris, Wilbur, what, what, uh, is he going to be up in September and, and uh, part of the bullpen next year? I would think he'd be up in September. And I, if I'm not mistaken, this is his last option here. I could be wrong about that, but I think it is. And so he's he going to have to be on the, in the major league team. The, the issue with him, I noticed a couple. Of, he's got so far. His ERA isn't very good this year. It's okay, but his actually all his other numbers are real good. Um, but I, I think the, probably the issue the Pirates have with him is that he sometimes doesn't throw a lot of strikes, and they'll be hesitant to bring him up to the majors for as long as that's true. It's, it's the same, really, the same issue on a, a somewhat different scale than Justin Wilson. Yeah, I mean, Morris, 17 innings this year, 16 strikeouts, two walks coming into today. Uh, you know, I haven't seen him pitch this year. It would seem maybe that's a little bit more under control. I, yeah, I was looking, though, at, early in the year, I was looking at, at some of his pitch counts on the, you know, the balls and strikes things and the and the box scores, and he was having some games where, you know, he'd throw 25 pitches and 13 of them strikes, and, and that's, to me, not a good sign, but... Yeah, the performance has been there, and I got to think at some point that he'll come up sooner or later. I mean, somebody's going to get hurt or something. Something always happens, and and I would think that he'd be on the short list. Wilbur, do you see do you see uh, Wilson as more of a, a starter or, or a reliever in the big leagues? I'd like to see him as a starter. I can see why they're trying. And he had another good eye. He was good, Justin Wilson today, after being bad, Justin Wilson in his last start, and pitching a no hitter before that <laughs> and so yeah i mean you'd see you just keep going you just keep going back to the well with him and hope he can get his pitches over because he is really hard to hit so yeah they just keep trying I, i'd hope to see him as a as a starting pitcher eventually but you know if he can throw 97 98 miles an hour he can certainly make it as a reliever too charlie you wrote a little bit about this have we have we are we reevaluating rudy owens again after you know disappointing year last year I don't know if I, I don't know if I am. I mean, he's uh, you know it's his second year at the level at at the AAA level. Um, it's it's only been six starts, uh, and it's not really unheard of for you know a guy to have. I mean, his strikeout numbers honestly are not great. What's really great is that uh, is that he has a very low walk to- walk total and only has two walks in 40 innings. That's fantastic, but it doesn't necessarily pretend. Uh, big success at the major league level, I, I don't think. So, yeah, he looks like a little bit better of a prospect than he did uh, six months ago, but I don't know if anything has fundamentally changed. But what do you what do you think, Wilbur? I'd pretty much see him as a back-of-the-rotation guy. Yeah. And, yeah, one thing I'm kind of curi- curious to see, if you remember Zach Duke, he didn't pitch very long in AAA, and he didn't pitch all that well there either. And you just kind of wonder if maybe Owens getting more time in AAA may help a bit more. You know, I mean, that may mean nothing at all. But, but yeah, yeah, I could see him being pretty successful as a fourth or fifth starter, which is fine. I mean, you got to have that too. But I don't, you know, he's not the answer. I mean, Cole and Tyon are the answer to their, to their dreams, and not not Rudy <laughs> Owens. In 2015, here yeah, we come. Well, uh, I actually hope it's not that long. Well, let's let's close on that. Those are the guys that that pirate fans do dream about. There was a little bit of criticism last year for how the pirates dealt with Jameson Tyone. How they, they maybe babied him a little bit. Uh, I think he threw about 80 innings. Uh, we see they're they're taking somewhat the same approach this year with both these guys. They're throwing you know five innings ish. Uh, are the pirates going too slow? Are they both going to be in Altoona this year? And is it possible that? You know, we're we're in 2012. Is it possible on opening day 2014 that they're in the rotation, or you know, let's say June if they want to start the clock late? Yeah, I don't I don't see why not. I don't have a problem with what they. I I really was kind of baffled by all the criticism with Tyone. Yeah, me too. Because first of all, I I don't really think that he was handled very differently from the way other pitchers who were similar to him were. I mean, I I do remember looking at that at some point. And, I think some of the other top high school guys had slightly more, slightly higher inning totals than he did, but not a lot. And I think that some of the criticism was aimed at his performance, which, 
wasn't as dominating as people expected. And I think that had a lot more to do with the fact that they weren't allowed to throw breaking balls. Um, as, as Kevin Goldstein mentioned the other day, he was limited to five curveballs a game. Mm-hmm. And that's a pitch that, that, you know, hitters certainly at that level can't hit. And I, I, the other important thing is that I think that his performance this year kind of, kind of justifies what the pirates are doing. I think what we're seeing is because I know he's throwing more curveballs. He's also starting to develop his change, and and the results are there. And and in particular, like one of the problems last year was getting his fastball up, and he was getting hit. You know, even though he's throwing 96 mile an hour fastball, and I don't think he's given up a home run yet this year. No, he hasn't. He's not. He's not getting hit the way he did occasionally last year. And so I really think that what's happened so far this year really corroborates the the approach that the Pirates took. So I, I don't I don't get the criticisms at all. And I and I also don't see any reason he and Cole can't both be in the majors at some point in 2014. I'm sure the agenda is for Cole to make it next year at some point. That's interesting. Next year. So uh, I assume that means he's in Altoona at some point here this summer. Oh yeah. That would be a that would be a major setback if Garrett Cole isn't in Altoona by June. Charlie? Thoughts on that? Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, you you know, he's a college pitcher from a major program who was selected first overall. If he's not in class, uh, if he's not in Double A by uh, the end of the year, at the very latest, it it's, means there's something seriously wrong going on there. Yeah. Wilbur, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for all the all the work on the blog. Uh, Charlie, you want to take us out? Thanks for listening to the Bucks Dugout podcast. Um, you can find us on Twitter. David's at DT on Pirates. I'm at Bucks Dugout. Leave us your comments either there or on the site for us at BucksDugout.com. And we'll see you next time. Bye.